phase is locked and ready to fire, sir. Illogical. Hello and welcome back to Federation Radio, a Star Trek podcast, with your host, me again, Floyd. So, today is the final episode of Season 1, Operation Annihilation, which... I have to say, again, and I know, again, this is an episode I forgot existed. And this episode is actually really interesting. I I wonder if this is the basis of where the idea of the Borg originally came from. Because this is kind of a hive mind-like entity, although far simpler and in a different shape, but interesting. It is interesting, the similarities between this and the Borg later. I, I sort of see this as like a precursor to the Borg. Now... This episode starts off with the crew coming into a section and they're looking at star charts and it shows a bunch of different stars. We don't really know exactly where they are, but it says three different civilizations across these star systems, all in a line as if something was moving through, seems to have killed these people of what they can only describe as insanity. Now, the episode starts off with them discovering this and then finding that there is a ship. A small ship that is rushing towards the local star in this system. And this is a system where the Federation actually has a colony called the Denovan, I think it is, or Denovan Colony, with apparently over a million people living on it, including uh, Kirk's brother and his family. Well, Kirk's brother's family, not Kirk's family, but, you know, his, his nephew and his brother's wife. So they're all here. And then at the start, we see this ship. It's heading towards the sun. They try and rescue it. They rush after it with the Enterprise. They're not able to get the tractor beam on it. They can't seem to do anything to it. And at the last second, because they had him on the radio trying to make contact with him, as he's heading towards the sun, the guy seems to change his mind. Well, not change his mind, but like he was yelling almost incoherently into the radio about they're here, they won't stop. And then right before the ship exploded, because obviously it's too close to the sun, the ship's not built to withstand that, he gets close to it, and then he suddenly says in a very calm voice, It's gone. It's finally dead. Now, when you first watch that, you don't really notice it. It just seems to be a part of, like they were saying, absolute insanity. You don't understand what's going on. But as the episode goes on, we actually learn that that was a very important plot point. Because after this, they get to the planet where they're trying to make contact with anybody from this over a million population, you know, Federation world that's apparently been colonized for a century, so 22nd century, I guess. And on this planet, they can't get in contact with anyone. Who is trying all the official channels, governments, military, everything, nothing's answering. Kirk gives them a private communication channel. Uhura says to him, you know, that's a private channel. Why would you want me to contact that? And he says, I'm well aware of what it is, please contact it. And they get a response, and it's a woman who is screaming about how they're coming in, there's nothing we can do, I don't know what to do. And Kirk recognises her as his sister-in-law. I can't remember her name, it's like Corina, Corina, or something like that, I don't don't remember. But, um, so they go down to the planet, a small group, and almost immediately, they're basically assaulted by a group of men with, like, what looks like either stun rods or some kind of, like, electric weapons or just metal poles. I'm not really sure exactly what they're supposed to be. But they're running towards Kirk and the rest of the ground crew, who then fire their phases seemingly in stun mode, knock them all unconscious. Now, the Doctor makes a point at that point of scanning them, and he determines there's something wrong with their nervous system. Even though they're unconscious, it's almost like it's being artificially stimulated, as if they were conscious and in a heightened state. I don't understand it. 
Then they hear a woman scream. So they go up to where she's screaming from, and it's the room where uh, Kirk's brother is. Now, Kirk's brother is on the ground, and unfortunately, as they discover, he's dead. The woman screaming was his sister-in-law. She starts screaming about... She starts going a little out of her mind and screaming about, they are here, they're going to come in, they're trying to get in, and she's stuck with... I don't actually know what. The doctor hits her with something that knocks her unconscious. Now, at this point, they look over. Obviously, Kirk's brother's dead, but his nephew still lives. So they grab his nephew, and they grab his sister-in-law, and they bring them back up to the ship. But before they do, they look around the room, and they determine, you know, this room looks like they were barricading to keep something out. And, and as Spock looks up and sees the vents, he sort of says, and evidently it seems they failed, because the vent looks like it's being pushed in from the roof, which means something small was in the ventilation system. They can't determine yet what it was, but something has gotten in. It's killed Kirk's brother. This is personal. Although, I do have to say, for bringing in Kirk's family, they didn't really play all that important a role in the episode. I was kind of hoping there'd be more of a payoff to meeting Kirk's family, but not really. I don't think the nephew got to say two words. But anyway, so they go through. It's cool. Like, I like this idea of this kind of, it's creepy. It's a million-man city. The people are almost acting like zombies. They don't understand what's going on. They go to investigate around the area and they find in the shadow of an archway, not far from where they were sitting, or from where they were searching, there are these creatures. They seem to be, I mean, to me, they just look like some kind of plastic or gelatin type, like, you know, synthetic mold, sort of similar to the consistency that you would see, like, a fake chest piece or, like, a fake breast be, something like that, something silicone-y. It, looked, it had that, like, squishy fakeness to it. Yeah, but that's obviously just a set piece. I think it was supposed to be reminiscent of, they say later on, a brain. It's almost like an enormous cell from a brain as a giant, as a creature. Probably the size, I'd say a little bit bigger than a hand, than a human hand. So pretty big, but not massive. And they're stuck to the wall. Now, at this point, we learn how smart they are because they try and fire their phaser at it, obviously realizing this must be what it is this is the creature that's attacking or was trying to get in let's capture one or kill it because it's getting near us and it seems like they've phased it and it falls to the ground almost as if it's hurt they can't determine much about it they do a few scans and they're not really sure that's when they say it's more in common with like a brain cell but they don't understand anything about it and then they go to leave they go to get up and say all right let's get out of here let's go back and see what we can work out with the two that we've taken to medbay and as they turn around, the one on the ground, this is where it shows its intelligence, it was faking being injured. It just fell off the roof, making them appear as if they had injured it. They'd actually done nothing to it. The phasers barely harmed it. And it immediately jumped on Spock's back. It used that as a fake out so that when they turned their backs, it could take one of them. At that point, we determine that what these things are is basically like a brain bug. They get onto your back or onto your skin and they fuse with your nervous system. We learn when we go back on the ship, because obviously Spock is taken to the med bay, and between the nephew and the auntie, or the nephew, the sister-in-law, and Spock, we learn that, yes, they fuse with your nervous system, and it seems that that is probably why the other guys, when they were unconscious, still seem to have their nervous system as if it was being stimulated, because it was. There is another entity, a parasitic-like entity, on them somewhere that is infused in their nervous system that was still active, even though the humans are unconscious. Now, Spock is very unique. There's a short period where Spock kind of loses it, and he rushes for the bridge, and he tries to take control of the ship. 
Now, they, he does get called out on it. Like, they call him out from Medbay when he escapes, and they manage to stop him before he can do it. And then in Medbay, when they come to visit him, he says, you know, I can control it. I'm sorry. I am a Vulcan. They control people through pain. I am able to control pain as a Vulcan. I can stop their influence. I don't know for how long, but I can do it. Then it was cool. I actually thought that was a really fun way to use his Vulcan, you know, genetics, because we don't often actually get to see the advantage of it, but this is one of those episodes where, yeah, sometimes having someone who's not a human on the on the ship is a huge asset, because none of the humans would be able to resist once it attaches to them, which makes Spock a very unique individual in this situation. Now, we do get a sad scene in the med bay where he goes to see his sister-in-law, and she... She's pretty, I gotta say, she's pretty strong willpower to be able to resist something that is that far in her immune system. She basically gives us everything that she knows, even though it's giving her pain and she's screaming and the doctor's giving her meds to try and, like, lower her nervous system overall so it can't hurt her as much while she answers. But it's continually, basically, torturing her while she's giving answers. She says a ship came, it wasn't their fault, they came and they brought them, but they didn't mean it, and she keeps saying it wasn't their fault. They get in your mind, they get in your nervous system, they use pain to control your actions. You lose yourself with them. And she keeps screaming and they keep injecting her and it goes on for a little bit and she's basically describing exactly what I said. They are a parasite, confirming everything we knew. And then she says, they've been making us build ships. Please don't let them. Stop them. Which probably goes to show this is probably what happened to the other three civilizations. They were each infected, and after they were infected, their brain bugs basically used the people to build ships to carry them to the next civilization, who at first would have let them land and been like, what's wrong? What's going on? How can we help? And then the brain bugs attack. Before you know it, that civilization is dying and building ships to go and infect the next one. Like, we, like the title says, Operation Annihilation. They are just annihilating one species after another, one planet after another. I would have liked to have gotten a little bit more about why. Because we sort of determined that not only are they parasites, but they're not individuals. It's more like they are one of... One, each one of them is like a piece of a hive. It's like they are each separate brain cells attached to different individuals, but collectively are somehow still communicating as one whole, one being. Almost like a hive mind. Which is why I said they remind me of the Borg, because the Borg are sort of like that, but they're like that through synthetic machinery rather than organic parasitic like this. But it's similar. It's very similar, which is why I do actually think when they designed the Borg, they may have been re-watching or thinking about this episode. I'll be very interested when I get up to the Borg to compare them to this sort of thing. But, um, yeah, so that's what's going on with the creatures. They end up killing Kirk's sister-in-law. She tells them so much and resists the pain enough that eventually her body just gives out while she's talking with Kirk, and she dies. Which is real unfortunate for the nephew, who now doesn't have parents, and as far as I remember, he's never mentioned again, so I don't actually know what happens to him. I presume Kirk looks out for him, I don't know if Kirk has other family, but like, yeah, unfortunately, Kirk's brother and sister-in-law both die in this episode, which is kind of sad for the captain. Now, they do determine, later on, when they're trying to investigate and work out what's happened, they determine, we have two choices. This planet is full of people who are infected with a hive mind parasite that we cannot remove. Because McCoy tries. He opens up the nephew and he opens up Spock. Well, sorry, he opens Spock and he was going to open the nephew if he was successful and tries to surgically remove the parasite. He ends up just cutting a sample of them off that he can do some tests and more experiments on them, but then he closes Spock up and just says there's nothing more I can do. And he brings it to the captain and says what he found. He said it is all the way through his nervous system. 
He said, I could spend days in there doing surgery, and I doubt that I'd be able to dislodge it without killing him. I don't see how I'm going to be able to remove it surgically. Now, from that point forward, they're not sure what to do. They're sort of left with this choice where Kirk and kind of Spock speculate, because remember, he's controlling the pain, so he is still of his right mind now, now that he's taken back control, but he is still infected. Where they basically determine, this cannot be allowed to spread. And Spock says, you have two choices. Either you destroy the planet to stop you know, destroy the population and destroy it all from orbit to stop them building ships to ever spread beyond this. Which, as Kirk points out, and the Doctor, that's over a million people. We can't do that. And as Spock quite rightfully points out, there are billions, possibly trillions of people beyond this system. How many should die just because you don't want to kill a million here? And I feel like we're basically at the train cart, you know, exercise here of is it better to kill one, let the train run over one person, or to, oh, sorry, is it better to let the train kill five people if you're not involved, or do you flick the rail to the other rail and let one person die, except if that person dies because of your action instead of it just happening in front of you? It's an old moral question. There is really no right or wrong answer. Logically, you should flick the thing so that you're only killing one instead of five, but at the end of the day, you are then responsible for killing that one, it's a pretty messed up thing to ask anyone to do, but that's basically the position Kirk is in now. Except, unlike a lot of people, Kirk just says, no, I won't do that. He calls a meeting and says, we have 14 labs on this on this ship, we have a lot of scientists, all the best in the fleet, give me another solution. And then he just storms out of the meeting. Now, when they're going over it, they realise that ship at the start that blew up is actually important. It's not just a throwaway line for the insanity. It's before he died, whoever was the captain of that ship said, it's dead, it worked. And that makes them determine something about the sun killed this creature before it killed the human host, which is something they can try and replicate. Problem is they can't get that close to the sun physically, of course, especially not with a million people, because that's basically impossible and it's dangerous. They can't bring the planet to the sun and they can't bring the sun to the planet. So at first they do a bunch of tests in the lab, radiation and all sorts of other things that the sun gives out trying to determine what it is that kills them but as McCoy says I've burned that creature with radiation nine times what a sun puts out and it didn't even harm it that's enough radiation to turn your nephew and everyone on that planet to ashes and this creature wasn't even affected so they're left back with their two choices do we purge them do we quarantine them what do we do and then Kirk comes up with a solution that I kind of feel like Spock or McCoy should have come up with because it's a star. They're like, what does a star do? And as Spock points out, it has gravity, it gives light, it has mass, and it has radiation. And of course, light. It's light. I say, seriously, all these scientists, all these labs, like, what are these people here for if none of them thought it's sun, it releases light? How do you not think about light? Like, light and radiation are the two main things that exist about a sun. And you don't want to look at one of them? Like After this, I'd, I'd hope there's a few sackings going on in those labs, because, come on, it's a star. How do you go past light? But it turns out light is the solution. The problem becomes that they determine that to actually destroy the creature might mean releasing enough light, almost as if you were in a sun, which to most humanoid beings would blind them. So the solution becomes... Do we kill the people, or do we let them live blind, but without the parasites, because they'll be burned away by the light? 
Now, before they do this to the planet, they decide that we need to test it. So they test the light on the creature, you know, one of the creatures that Spock had captured from the planet. And it works. Absolutely disintegrates it. But then they say, no, we have to run one more test. Just like on the planet, we won't have time to put goggles on all million people before we use this experiment. Which means someone has to have it tested on them while they're infected. So Spock, as a Starfleet officer, volunteers. He says, I am infected. I can sit in that chamber without any protective goggles and I can take the full brunt of the light and we'll see what happens to me. And, you know, that's very brave of him because he knows this could potentially blind him. This might not even work. Who knows what will happen? So they do it and it works. Kills the creature. Spock's fine, except he's not fine. He seems to find himself temporarily blind. (laughs) Although, I kind of love this. Spock... I don't know whether he knew this would happen, but he seemed, he sort of says something later that makes me think that he was aware that this was a pretty good possibility, but he didn't bring it up for some reason. And that's, he mentions that because on the planet Vulcan, their sun is particularly bright, like a lot brighter than most people, uh, most people's stars, which means Vulcans have naturally evolved to be around that. And apparently they have an extra layer to their cornea that acts like a shield. It hardens over their eyes at times when the suns are sparking, and protects them. Either he forgot about that and didn't mention it when he first went blind and had McCoy and everyone else feel like extremely guilty for having him blinded under their command, or he just wanted to mess with them. And I, I tend to think he wanted to mess with them. I actually think Spock was just having a bit of fun there. Although he'd never admit to it, of course, because he's a Vulcan and Vulcan don't do that. They have no emotions. Because I'm pretty sure that Vulcans as a species are just supremely good at sarcasm. <laughs> but... Turns out it does work. And then after that, the worst part that makes them really guilty is McCoy realizes after that test, he goes over the results and he determines, oh God, I'm wrong. This did kill the creature, but I didn't need to use this spectrum of light. There's a different spectrum of light that is very similar that wouldn't have blinded people, but it would have still killed the creatures. I didn't need to blind Spock. This is my fault. And Spock points out rightfully, you know, I told you to do this and I volunteered. I'm a scientist as well, this is just as much my fault, do not blame yourself. And the captain agrees, and, you know, they conduct the experiment, they use a few satellites, and they basically blast the whole planet with the same light, which kills all these creatures and cures people. Unfortunately, we didn't actually get to communicate with the creatures really at all. I would have been very curious as to why they're doing what they're doing. Like, they don't seem like they're just stupid killers. Like, these don't just seem like little parasites. They even sort of said they're a hive mind. So what was the hive mind's goal? Why were they destroying civilizations? Were they doing it on purpose? Like, were they trying to get somewhere and the people kept burning out the civilization before they could get to their goal? We never really get to find out. I feel like they missed out on a very interesting opportunity there to have a story about that. Like, what were they doing? What was their goal? Were they evil? Were they purposely killing these civilizations? Or was it an accident because they were trying to do something else? Unfortunately, we'll never know, because they all got killed. But in the end, Spock's eyesight comes back, which is kind of amazing. But um, yeah, it's a fun little episode. We get a blast of light. People get uh, their eyesight cleared and Kirk loses his brother. His nephew survives, but like I said, his nephew survives. He's unconscious from when they save him. He's unconscious in the med bay. As far as I'm aware, he's unconscious at the end of the episode. He never actually gets to say a word. We just see that he's a young boy with red hair and he's apparently Kirk's nephew and that's I think all we'll ever know about him because there's no word at the end about what happens to him. Does he go back to the planet alone? Does he stick with Kirk? I mean, he doesn't stick with Kirk, but we get no word on what happens to him. 
which I thought was kind of sad. I would have liked to have known more about Kirk's family, learned a bit more about his backstory, as well as these creatures. But unfortunately, this episode didn't really do that. But it was a pretty tension-packed episode. I feel like for a final of their first season, it's not bad. It's a pretty cool story. Pretty high stakes. Like, to end the first season of the first ever season of Star Trek ever on TV, not bad. Actually, a pretty good episode. And, you know, with... I'm just looking back. City and the Edge of Forever, again, pretty good episode. The Alternative Factor, pretty good. Errand of Mercy, like, to be honest, a lot of the end of this season was actually pretty good. It, it had a few rocky episodes here and there, but overwhelmingly, season one of the original series, I rate it pretty highly. I really enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, that is the end of season one. Next up, we've got a very special episode, and this one, unlike the others... I do actually remember. It's called A Muck Time, and it's time for Spock to have his very famous Ponfar, which is the Vulcan Time of Mating. I'm just going to leave you with that, because in the next episode of Monk Time, I'll be back and we'll be going over that episode. It's a very classic episode, it's famous, the music that plays in it, everything about it, and also, I would say, probably one of the most referenced episodes within the Star Trek universe altogether. Because the Ponfar is basically invented for this, and it's referenced non-stop throughout Voyager and many other, you know, later episodes. This is a pretty big episode for even in-universe as well as outside. This is kind of like a Gorn episode. This is one of those real iconic that most Star Trek fans, even if they've only watched it once or at some point, remember it. It's very big in pop culture, unlike a lot of the rest of the show. So I'm looking forward to that. I'll be going over that next. I thank you all for listening. Once again, if you have any comments or any opinions or theories about what these creatures are up to or any behind-the-scenes stuff that you want to share with me, if anyone knows like, if there was a different script for this at some point or if there was actually backstory written for these creatures or it was originally going to go a different way, email me. I would love to see that stuff. I'd love to hear any of that stuff because this episode fascinated me in a lot of ways that the episode just didn't answer. But... Thank you for listening, and goodbye for now.